Good morning. This morning's reading is Genesis 1 1, 2 2 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Thanks, Louise. We'll keep those passages handy. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that... Uh, In it, you tell the one big story of all of creation, all of human history, Uh, from the creation to the new creation. You tell us the story of your kingdom that you are building. And we pray this morning as we go right back to the beginning, you'd open our eyes to see new and wonderful things that maybe we haven't noticed before and that we would see how great you are and your plans are and how wonderful your kingdom is and that we would love and praise and serve you. Amen. Well, uh, I love projects. Uh, Well, that's maybe not quite true. Uh, The truth is probably I like the idea of a project more than the reality. Uh, I think I would like projects a whole lot more if they went to plan. Uh, Now, over the course of my life, I've kind of left behind a wake of projects. Uh, for the sake of my marriage, can I just ask that you, you don't ask Keely? She's upstairs with the kids and, you know, it'd be better if you just don't, don't ask her about my projects. But uh, some of the projects in my history have been finished, others unfinished. But I think not a single one of my projects have ever gone exactly to plan. See, whether it's plans for modifying a vehicle or building a shed or or having a relaxing day off, the reality never perfectly matches the plans that I laid out. See, some kind of problem always crops up, whether it's sort of an external problem, something that I couldn't have foreseen, or it's an internal problem uh, that I was just too silly to see the flaws in my plans to begin with. Problems always come up for my plans, or problems come up with my plans. Sound a bit familiar? See, human plans are like that, aren't they? Human plans get altered. Human plans get adapted. Human plans get abandoned. But God's plans are nothing like our plans, because God is nothing like us. 
Have a look at that first passage that Mike read for us, Isaiah 4, verse 6. Verse 9, he says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what's still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird, from far off land a man to fulfil my purpose. What I have said that I will bring about. What I have planned that I will do. See, God's plans never get altered. He never adapts them. He never abandons them. There are no external factors that God had never foreseen that come and cause a problem. There are no internal flaws where he realises partway through he's made a mistake or a miscalculation and, and needs to change tack. Now, God is God. He does exactly as he pleases. He does exactly as he plans. And actually, he announces and makes known those plans from the beginning. See, the Bible is a story filled with lots of little stories and, and songs and, and laws and all sorts of different components and pieces. But it all fits together as one big story. And it's the story of all history. It's the story of where we started and where we're finishing. It's the story of his kingdom. And if we want to understand that story, we need to go to the beginning. So point two, the story that begins with God. Have a look there at Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I once uh, heard a story about a toddler uh, and a dad. Um, and so the dad was at home looking after the toddler while mum ducked out to the shops or somewhere. And uh, when mum comes home, she said, oh, well, how did it go? And dad says, oh, it was great. You know, cute little fella, he's just been so helpful. He's, he's been roaming around and he, he keeps bringing me glasses of water while I'm working at the computer. And the mum looks puzzled and, uh, and looks at dad and says, but, but he can't reach the taps. Where's he getting the water from? Mum and dad follow the trail of spilt water all the way into the bathroom, into the toilet bowl, <laughs> where the toddler is filling up dad's cup. See, sometimes we really need to know the origin of a thing, don't we, to truly understand what we're dealing with. Sometimes the beginning and the source and the origin really matters. And here, when it comes to the universe and life and everything, we really, really, really need to know the origin to understand anything about it. We need to know how we got here so that we can begin to understand why we're here. And notice how the story of the Bible and the story of history doesn't begin like this. In the beginning, there was infinite density and heat. And in the beginning, there was a bang. And in the beginning, particles and antiparticles collided and created matter as they expanded and created the universe. 
Now it starts, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, the story doesn't begin and end with a universe that expands and then one day contracts on itself. No, the story of all history starts and ends with God, the one who is eternal, the one who is like no other, the one who creates, the one who made everything. And, and it tells us how. And it tells us it's by the power of his word. He simply commands the heavens and the earth into being by speaking. Have a look at verse 2. The earth was formless and empty and dark. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was. Verse 6. God said, let there be sky. Let there be land. Let there be trees. Let there be animals. And there was. See, like a king who shows their rule by their command... God, the true king of the universe, shows his rule by his command, a command so incredibly powerful that he can even make something that doesn't exist yet obey him. My word is so powerless, I can't even get my kids to put their shoes on and get to the car. God's word is so powerful, he can make the nothing obey him and become something. And what the Bible is telling us here is that we could know, we could know everything there is to know about cosmology and and particle physics. We could know everything there is to know about the mechanics of of how and why this universe is expanding and and how there's matter. We could know everything there is to know about all those things. But if we don't begin with the God who created it all, we won't stand a chance of understanding anything about anything in this universe. See, the universe didn't come about by accident. It came to be by God, by his will, by his plan, by his word, It's his creation. And there's a million and one implications of this, but I just want to point our attention just to two this morning. Well, the first implication of the fact that the source and beginning and origin of everything is God. The fact that he has the authority to speak creation into being. It it means that he actually has the authority to rule that creation. The one who had the authority to speak creation into existence has the authority to speak into that creation and demand our allegiance and obedience. See, if he made it by his power and authority, it's it's his. It's his to rule and to reign See, this is what it means when we say that God is sovereign over all creation. It's all his. He has the right to it. He owns the title deed. And he has the right to do with it as he pleases. He has the right to speak into it 
and rulers. And it also means that we are created for a purpose. Now, when my kids were little, uh, they used to make creations, you know, whether it was Lego or paper or whatever it was, and uh, they'd they'd want to show us what they made. Hey, Dad, look what I've made. Oh, this is great. And you'd pick it up and you'd look at it, and in your head you're thinking, what in the world is that? (laughs) And, uh, you know, you'd pick it up and you'd you'd look at it and you'd think, oh, I know what it is, it's a plane. So you no, Dad, it's not a plane. It's a chair. Oh, of course, you know, I was just being said, how could I not know? See, because in the creator's mind, they know what they're creating. They know what it is. Now, as creators, we're not as good as God is. But in their mind, in a creator's mind, they are the one who create. And so they are the one who determine the purpose of what they are creating. And see, God, in creating everything, he is the one that determined the purpose for his creation. He is the one who decided what creation is for, why it exists, and what he's going to do with it. So it's not a meaningless accident that just happens to be here and means nothing. It's a deliberate creation with a plan and a purpose. A purpose to build a kingdom. Now, uh, you know, when uh, a developer is making a new development and you know, really big developments, they have to have sort of a little, a little office in the community where you can go and you can look at the plans and, and they make those models. And so, you know, you see a little high-rise apartment building or, you know, a little suburb with little tiny houses and streets and, and uh, a little miniature version of the real thing, a model. Now, the elevators don't work, the lights probably don't come on, the trees and the people are plastic and, and the cars are just Hot Wheels. But, but it, what it is, it's, it's a model, a representation, kind of a pattern of what's to come. So you can look at that little thing and go, oh, yeah, I get it. I get what it's going to look like. I get what it's going to be like. And I, we can imagine what this development is going to be like. Well, that's actually exactly what God did right here at the beginning of creation. He gave us a model of his plans for his world and his kingdom. Come to our next point, the pattern of God's kingdom. You see, we've got a few little sub-points here. Uh, The first, we see the pattern of God's kingdom begins with God's special people. Have a look, uh, scan down, uh, find verse 26, kind of... In the middle, near the fold, two-thirds of the way down, uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, God's special people 
are unlike the rest of creation. They are creatures, but they're creatures with a difference. Different from the birds and the beasts and the the sea animals. God's people, male and female, were designed by God to reflect his image and likeness. Designed kind of like little mirrors that mirror the rule of God in his world. That mirror his rule and his reign and his goodness and his qualities and his character. And he set apart his people from all the rest of the creatures he made as his own special people. And his people, we see, live in perfect relationship with God, ruling his world with his blessing. And as we come uh, to Genesis 2, it retells the aspects of creation for a slightly different perspective. Where in Genesis 1, uh, that Louise read to us, (coughs) we get a zoomed out view on all of creation, where we see God is sovereign. In Genesis 2, the story zooms in on the focal point of creation, zooms in, not to just where God is sovereign over all of the universe, but to where God is honoured as king. And after that repeated chorus of Genesis 1, that God saw it was good, we pick up the story here where God has made man but not yet woman. And when God sees, he declares that it all is not good. So you have to turn over the back of your page, uh, chapter 2 and verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Jump down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, verse 23, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman for she was taken out of man. And then the story stops and narrates. It says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So here we have the model, the little pattern of God's kingdom. And what do we see? We see a few things when it comes to God's people. We see diversity and we see unity. See, from the beginning, God made us male and female. Diverse, different, beautifully and wonderfully different, biologically and categorically different, and yet fully equal, yet equally reflecting the image of God. And we realise actually that there has to be that diversity for God's plan to work. See, what was God's plan? What was the the job that God had given to mankind? Fill the earth, subdue it, be fruitful, multiply. Now that doesn't work unless there is male and female. 
Neither Adam or Eve can be fruitful and multiply on their own. And so it means that when the Bible talks about male and female, whether here or elsewhere, it has to mean that actually male and female are determined by our biology. The makeup that God gave us at creation. It can't be talking about a gender identity that's separate from biological sex because that doesn't work to fill and subdue an earth. Unless they are biologically different, Adam and Eve can't possibly fulfil God's plan. And so here where, where the Bible says God made mankind male and female, the only definition and option is biological. Our gender and our biological sex are inseparable. And, you know, that's actually really freeing. It's really freeing that it's inherent and built in the way God designed us. Because then it doesn't rely on how we feel. We'll come back to this a little bit next week when we see that we just messed everything up and we know that now, in a broken world, the way we feel is just so fickle. It's so up and down. God made us male and female in his image, diverse, yet have a look. They are one in perfect unity, perfect fellowship, perfect communion. Now, if this is something you'd like to uh, talk a little bit more about, think a little bit more about, pray about, um, you'd like someone to, to, to meet with you or pray with you, please get in touch with me this week. Reach out to a friend here at church. Uh, love to make some time uh, to do that with you. But in a world that tries to confuse us, the very first page of Scripture tells us that our sexuality is real and it is very, very good. And it's the pattern for God's people, different, because God needs us to be, but equal. But also in perfect unity, so unified that God calls them one, sharing the same flesh and blood in perfect relationship, such a perfect relationship that actually God draws our attention to the fact that they could be naked together and not even notice. Naked together with no shame, no awkwardness, no discomfort. And so the pattern for God's kingdom starts with God's special people set apart to reflect his image and glory as they rule his creation, diverse and yet equal in perfect relationship with each other and in perfect relationship with God. And a people who belong in God's special place. Have a look at verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not set rain on the earth, there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. There he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So within the whole entire universe 
the whole creation where God is sovereign. God has made one very special place, a very special place that's set apart from the rest of creation, within creation, but, but different because it's a special place where his goodness and his rule and his authority can be seen most clearly. It's kind of like the epicentre of his rule and his kingship and his blessing. Now you think of Eden, kind of think botanical garden, but a botanical garden made by the God who actually created every plant in the first place. He has put here every good and beautiful and tasty tree and plant that he ever made. Apples and avocados and grapes and and chilies. He's got it all. And it's got its own underground irrigation system we see in verse 6. It's an amazing place, but, but it's not just a garden. It's kind of like a garden that's also a petting zoo. But a weird petting zoo because there's lambs and calves and lions and rhinos and crocodiles. And they're all there together and, and there's perfect peace. Look, verse 19, we see God brought all the animals into his garden to Adam. And so we see in the pattern of God's kingdom, God's, God's place is perfect, it's abundant, it has food and life, it's beautiful, and it's a place where all of God's creation is in perfect harmony. His people and his creation in perfect peace. But notice it's actually also a place that's designed to grow and spread and fill and cover the earth. See, we read back in chapter 1 there that God's mandate to his people was to go and fill and spread and cover the earth. Here in chapter 2, we see that their job is to, to work the ground. From God's special place in this garden, they are to go and to spread and for his special place to spread with them and grow until the garden covers the entire earth. But we don't realise this until the next chapter, but it's also the place where God comes to be with his people. In chapter 3, verse 8, we, we see God come just to take a stroll around the garden with his people. It seems like this is a normal thing. And so we have here the pattern of God's place, a perfect place with every good thing in perfect harmony where God's people live, where God comes to be with his people as they rule and care for his place, a perfect place that God has designed will one day cover all of creation. But God's people weren't to rule however they wanted. God knew how to rule how his world works best. And for us to reflect his image and enjoy his place, that can only happen when we obey his perfect rule. Point three, God's perfect rule. Have a look at chapter two, verse nine. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. 
but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, who's kind of wondered why this tree was even there? Have you ever wondered, why did, why did God put that tree there? It was perfect. Seems kind of strange. Seems almost kind of arbitrary and pointless, or maybe even cruel. But actually, the presence of this tree is really, really crucial. It's a massive hint that it's, it's not actually the end of the story. A massive hint that the, there's more coming than just the garden. A hint that actually the threat of death hangs in the background. And it's a sign and a symbol that God's kingdom is a place where he wants his people to willingly submit to his rule. He wants his people to choose to love and obey and rejoice in his kingship. He doesn't force their allegiance. He actually gives the option of rejecting his rule. This tree is is a bit like a test and an invitation to his people to trust him. A reminder that to rule his place, we must submit to his rule and rule his way. See, in the pattern, God shows us that the kingdom is the place where God's people willingly submit and obey his rule. But those who do not will face death. God's people in God's special place under God's perfect rule, lastly enjoying God's abundant blessing. See, the tree of life is a symbol of God's blessing. God's people living in his perfect place under his perfect rule get to eat from the tree of life and live there forever. They never have to leave. They never have to die. They can live in perfect relationship with each other and his world and with their creator for all time. See, this is the pattern and the plan for God's kingdom. And it's a wonderful pattern, but it was only a model. It was only a pattern. And it points to a reality that's far bigger and far greater. Unlike our plans, God's plans go exactly to plan. And nothing can alter or adapt or force him to abandon his plans. We'll see that as we continue this term and follow the story of the kingdom as we see that pattern unfold into the fullness and the reality that is to come.